So I'm Doug Pond. Uh, had the privilege of being a part of the May 18th Love 804. Uh, came here to church on a pretty hot Saturday and was uh, greeted with a lot of encouragement with a super fun crowd. And so we went down to Blanford and we worked on four houses, emptied the houses. We did lots of landscaping, uh, mowing grass, yanking vines, um, moving brush, just trying to get these houses a little more presentable. Uh, idea was to get the houses ready for uh, restoration. I'm a weed management guy, so a lot of the stuff that we did there that day was kind of right up my alley. Um, there towards the end of the day, we uh, were spraying some weeds and uh, I can recall a lady coming over and saying, hey you, the weed guy. And I was kind of like, hey, I don't know if that's such a good thing to be called me <laughs> But uh, it was a really fun day, uh, very impactful, very meaningful. Um, and a way where we can go out and, and to serve our neighbors in a, in a community where there are a lot of great needs. So it was a great, great opportunity to be a part of that. Well, good morning, Heights family. You're going you're gonna to be hearing and seeing, uh, I, I'm pretty sure, a lot of these stories over the next couple months as we're going to be sharing with you, all of you in our congregation and all that's going on throughout our congregation, to be the church in, in 804. So I think we're going to have a lot of fun with that. Man, good to see y'all. Where have you been? I, I was here. What were y'all doing? No, it's been gone for several Sundays and uh, it, it's good to be back. I, everybody thinks, man, you've been gone such a long time. Uh, actually, I took one week of vacation. I, I've been here working the last two weeks. I wasn't in the pulpit. Uh, and I kind of do that periodically in the summertime. I'll take some time out of the pulpit and kind of get ahead on some administrative things and, and ready for the fall. As a matter of fact, last Sunday I was actually out at our Midlothian campus and had a great time worshiping with them and just excited to see what's being established out there and all that's happening. We, we, we had a lot of fun there last week. But man, thankful for Mike. Didn't he do an awesome job these last three weeks? Uh, it was kind of funny. I, I didn't. I heard him two of the three Sundays that I, I was out. But last Sunday, I didn't know his little, you know, trick where he didn't come up. And I'm, I'm sitting out there at Midlothian and I, this fear comes up. He does know he's preaching for me today, doesn't he? You know, I'm thinking, oh my God, am I supposed to, you know, so I just, and finally he got up. I don't do that. Don't, don't do that. So, but he did a, he did a great job and I'm grateful for Mike and his ministry in so many ways uh, in our church, but certainly filling the pulpit for me the, the last couple of weeks. We did have one week where we, we had our whole family to get all but one. Uh, we had our whole family together, and it was nice. Our our family right now is just in a in a crazy season. There, our kids are taking Karen and I on a roller coaster ride. It's it's what the good news is. It's mostly positive, but it is a it is a roller coaster ride. Can I can I tell you all about our summer? So so Randy, three weeks in New York at Camp Buckner, three weeks at Fort Benning in Georgia, where he got his airborne badge. So. I was excited until I think that now means for the rest of his life I start praying for his knees. Am I, am I right? And, and then he was three weeks in Alaska at Fort Richardson. And he's actually the one that, that he, he got a week in there. He, he got to be with us at the, the beach. And then Colin was six weeks 
at, at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, working on a sapper tab. I probably don't, many don't know what that is. That's fine. But he, he got it and really excited for him and, and proud of him for doing that. And then left that immediately the next day went to Fort Campbell and was three weeks there. So they're both at home at West Point now and starting a new uh, they had to report this morning. I don't know what they're doing, but they're in the same spot for once. And uh, then Amy, right after our vacation, Amy and her husband Danny moved from Brooklyn to Iowa City. You think that might be a change? <laughs> there, there's more people in Brooklyn than there is the entire state of Iowa. And uh, so they, they've moved there, and uh, Amy is getting to fulfill a, a long-time dream. There's a a special writing program at the University of Iowa. It's the best in the country, and she got into that and and is going to be getting a second master's doing that while she's teaching in their undergraduate program. And uh, Danny got got a job with an architectural firm there. So I'm guessing there's a trip in my near future to to Iowa. I've never been to Iowa. I know that that's where, you know, heaven is, according to Field of Dreams, but that, that's about the extent. Uh, and they have a great state fair. Have you all heard that? I, I think there's a great state fair in Iowa, but uh, man, our, our kids are just all over the place. But the really, really good news is we have Walton and Rose next weekend. The, the, grand, the grandkids are coming to us, so that we got some exciting things. But man, just a, a, a lot of stuff going on this summer, but uh, glad to be back, glad to be back here in the pulpit as we continue our trek through the whole Bible in 2019. You know, that sounded like a big deal to say back in January and February, but it's August. I mean, we're, we're two-thirds of the way. We have... Entered the New Testament, Mike got us started last week into the the Gospels, those four stories of the life of Christ and and what that life means to you and to me. Let's stop and think about that right there. What the life of Christ means to you and and to me. I'm, I'm assuming that for many of us, if we stop and think about the life of Christ, we celebrate that, right? Oh, awesome. There's four of us in here that are celebrating the life of Christ. That's encouraging. Maybe I was gone a little too long. <laughs> What'd you do to him, Mike? <laughs> so, but now, all joking aside, there was another group of people that looked at the life of Christ, and they didn't celebrate it. They crucified it. There's a difference. There, there's a bigger difference between celebrating and crucifying than even Brooklyn and Iowa City. There's a bigger difference, and you can't, well, well why? What, what, what did they see? It's always confused me how the, and not, not all the Jewish people, but the Pharisees in particular, how they ended up doing what they did. Because it's my opinion, it's opinion, I don't know any more than you do what's actually in the soul, in the mind of a, of a person, but it, I am of the opinion that the Pharisees absolutely knew that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and that He was the Messiah. And the, and the reason I believe that they knew that is because they were experts in Scripture. They were experts in prophecy. See, God wanted to make sure with all the people on the planet, I mean, how do you hunt through and find a Messiah? And, and God wanted to make sure we didn't miss it. And so He gave these prophecies. Now, every one of these prophecies could be fulfilled by multiple people. I mean, one of the prophecies, he'd be, he'd be born in the town of Bethlehem, right? 
Well, Jesus wasn't the only person born in the town of Bethlehem. He would be in the line of David. Well, there was hundreds of thousands of people in the line of David. But it wasn't one prophecy. It was over 60 prophecies. And and the odds that one person would just randomly be born into the world fulfilling all 60 plus of those prophecies was impossible. It's statistically, mathematicians have, have put the pencil to it. It's statistically impossible. And Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. They would have known those prophecies. They would have watched him being fulfilled. They would have known who he is. They knew all those prophecies were fulfilled, and yet they rejected him. How? Why? Are you ready for this? Because they didn't want him. I, if, if that's it, I don't want it. Now, now, now how? How, how, would they, how would they come to that place of saying, probably in our modern, our modern vernacular, he's not my Messiah, How would they have come to that conclusion? You you know, folks, really, it's as simple as our expectations. What we're looking for in life. What we're looking for in God. What we expect. And here's the crazy thing. Much of what they expected was scriptural. It's It's not something they dreamed up. Much of what they were looking for, much of what they were expecting in a Messiah, they got from God's Word. Listen, these aren't, a, these aren't an evil, wicked, horrible, oh, they're so different from us. You, you, you know, these people that crucified them would have called themselves a people of faith. They would have said, I'm a, I'm a people of the book, the good book, right? They would have gathered They would have gathered every single week. They would have sang the songs. They would have paused to study the scriptures. They would have been doing all the same things that you and I would have been doing. So how did they reject when God finally answers the biggest prayer? How how do they take Jesus and literally toss him back up to heaven and say, try again, God? It's because God didn't meet their expectations of what they wanted in a Messiah. Now, again, that partly, mostly, maybe entirely came from Scripture. And we're going to see something kind of important in a couple of mistakes that they made is that they knew Scripture, they were hoping in Scripture, but not all of Scripture. Half a verse can be satanic. Half a verse can be satanic. It's it's the whole verse, right? So their expectation of a Messiah, uh, gosh, there's, there's a variety of passages we could go to. I mean, this is a lot of what fills the Old Testament. But one place you could go this afternoon and spend 15 minutes and really understand the Jewish mindset as they were waiting for a Messiah would be Isaiah 60 to 66. Seven chapters, Isaiah 60 to 66. And you'll see there, not just a a, a Messiah, a king, a person, but you'll see what they anticipated this person ushering into the world. The, The new world that he would be bringing with them. And that's what they desired. That's what they were looking forward to. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to read seven seven chapters, but let me read just the first three verses 
of Isaiah chapter 60 to 66. Uh, just Isaiah 61 to 3. It says, arise. This is, it, it, Isaiah is talking to Israel. Hey, get up, guys. This is it. Shine, for your light has Come, the Messiah is here, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. That sounds pretty cool. Don't know exactly what that looks like, but God's glory being on me, sure, sign me up for that. Whatever that looks like, feels like, put me down for that. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you, and nations Nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of, of your rising. Well, see what Isaiah is saying here is, hey, Israel, when the Messiah comes, man, get up. Get excited. You're, you're going to rise up and finally the whole world is going to see you were right. You, you picked the right God. You chose the right religion. You are right. And the whole world's going to see it and the whole world's going to come to it. Man, you, you're going to be up there on the top of the, on the top of the pedestal and we're going to see the whole world come into us. And, and from this idea, Israel said, Hey, this sounds cool. We're on top. That sounds really good. And if you go on and read Isaiah 66, it's not just that Israel's on top. Man, this will be a time of peace, a time of justice. This is where you're going to find the phrase that the lamb and the lion will lie down together. This is where you're going to see that if you die at 100 years old, you'd be considered cursed. So it really is ushering in a new, a whole new world. It's not heaven. It follows the second coming of Christ. And you and I, from a New Testament knowledge, we would call what's being ushered in here, what's being described in Isaiah 60 to 66 as the millennial kingdom, the 1,000 year reign of Jesus physically, visibly from Jerusalem. And, and they're waiting for this time. They're excited about this time. But that's not all that's described in the Old Testament about the arrival of the Messiah. They missed something very important. Did you notice when I just said a moment ago, I just gave myself away a little bit about when this kingdom happens? Right after the second. They didn't see a second. They saw one coming of the Messiah. Their mindset, their idea was when the Messiah comes, this is what happens. This, this is the world that we're going to get. And, I, and I'll tell you something, honestly, and, it, and it's hard to remove what you do know. But I do think it is easier to look back into the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament, through the lens of history, and see that there is indeed two comings. But it's there without the lens of the New Testament, God's not tricking anybody. God didn't sneak up on anybody. He described a Messiah that, that would come and it would happen in two very different ways. One, we can focus on and look at in 60 through 66. But do you know you only have to go back in Isaiah just a few chapters to Isaiah 53. And there's another describing of the Messiah's coming. But this time he won't be setting up a glorious kingdom What's he going to do? He's going to suffer. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be mocked and spit on. And he will die. 
He will die for your sins and for my sins. He will die, it says, so that we can be counted as righteous. So there are two, and those aren't the only two passages. But clearly, that's describing two very distinct, very different arrivals of Jesus, of the Messiah, into this world. They were focused on the second, thinking that there was only one. And I mean, honestly, folks, I, I don't want a suffering Savior. I, I don't want a suffering Savior. Just, just take us straight to the top. Let, let's just get to that part where we're, we're over everything and, and the world is so good. And, and it wasn't just that they were over everything. They kind of liked the idea that the blessing was all ours. See, here again, it's part of the verse, not the, the whole verse. See, if you go all the way back to Genesis 12, remember when we were there in January? You go back to Genesis chapter 12 and God does indeed come to Abraham and say, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make the nation out of you great. That nation is Israel. But there's a reason. There's a reason God's going to bless. There's a reason that God is going to make great. It's so that all the nations can know the blessing of God. And and the the Jews kind of got stuck in an idea where I want to be a cul-de-sac for God's blessings. God, just let your blessings fall out of heaven and land on me. And, you know, I want to be secure. I want to be happy. I want to be wealthy. I want to be healthy. I want life to be good for me. And and so just pour these blessings. But God wasn't looking for a cul-de-sac. God was looking for a conduit. Not, Not that the blessings would stop with me, but they would pour through me. The idea here is really very simple. God picked a person. God picked a nation to relate with in the world with the idea that as that person, as that nation went to school and went to work and lived among the neighborhood, that people would watch them relate with God and say, I want that. And and the whole world would be introduced to God. The whole world would... By the way, you understand, that's our assignment still today, right? It's not God pour your blessings into me. It's God pour your blessings through me. May I live with you in such a way that the people around me say, I want that. I, I, I want to have that. But see, they, they kind of miss that. They, they, they missed that there was two comings. They were focused on the one they really wanted. They missed the idea of, of not being a cul-de-sac for God's blessings, but being a, a conduit. They, they missed that. What I want is a God who comes and makes me great. Now, with that understanding, and I've spent a lot of time on that, right? But I want you to feel, listen, this is what they're listening for. This is what they're looking for as they desperately want God to send them a Messiah. So, knowing what they're expecting, listen to what they hear. Look at what they see. Turn with me if in, in your Bible to, to Matthew and Mark. We're, we're at the opening of the New Testament. We have the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We started there last week. We got about five more weeks, including today, in that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to look at something in both Matthew and Mark, but let's start with Mark. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the beginning of the story. 
Mark says, here here we go. I'm going to tell you the story of Christ. The gospel, the good news. It's not just a story. It's a story of good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Listen to this. As it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. Now, now if if you're a person of faith, if you're a person of the book, and and this makes my heart start to beat. Isaiah, I know what that's about. You're, You're introducing to me the Messiah. And what's he do? He quotes a prophecy. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. Let's just knock down one prophecy right now. We know that when the Messiah comes, there'll be a forerunner. There's going to be somebody who comes and says, he's right behind me. <laughs> he, he's next through the door. And we know that person to have been who? John the Baptist. Man, y'all are on it. Good job. Y'all totally messed up that. We're celebrating the life of Christ. But you came back with John the Baptist. Okay, so John the Baptist. And if you read verses 4 and following, you'll see John and Jesus have an interaction there where where John is going to baptize Jesus. That seems a little odd, doesn't it? John thought so also. Shouldn't you be baptizing me? And so they go through this whole thing and, and John ends up baptizing Jesus. Let me pick up now in verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him, that's Jesus, out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested... Uh, Mark is a fast-moving gospel. As a matter of fact, one of the words most used in gospel is immediately. He's just constantly moving to the, to the next story. And so there's a good bit of time. John doesn't get arrested that day, but it's coming and he's going to be arrested. And so we know after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. So he was kind of physically presented to Israel, to the nation as the Messiah at the baptism. But it's now after that when he enters Galilee that he's going to begin to speak. He's going to, he's going to, you're going to hear the first words of the Messiah speaking to the nation he's come to. And, and hear what, hear, here's what he says. He, uh, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. Oh, oh, this is it. This is really going to happen. And we've been waiting for this for hundreds and hundreds of years. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh, go get the kids. This is really going to happen. Man, the kingdom is here. Repent. Wait, what? I, repent? What are, you, what are you talking about repent? So does the new city come out of the sky? Or when do all the nations start coming? Repent and believe the gospel. Okay, so you know what they're expecting, and what are the first words they hear out of his mouth? Repent and believe. So we just heard what they heard. Now I want to focus on what they saw. Now Mark just described it here in in like two sentences. And, And he came up out of the waters, and the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. Okay, so what Mark spent literally two sentences on, and it's like, what? What happened there? Matthew's going to kind of open that up for us and tell us a little bit more of a fuller story. So turn back a few pages uh, to the left to Matthew chapter 4. 
Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, and we're going to read a little bit more detail about what went on there in the wilderness. Matthew 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, we we already knew that, right? Mark told us that. But now listen to how much more Matthew's going to give us. And the tempter came to him and said, If, if you're the Son of God. Now, Satan knows who he is. Jesus knows who he is. But Satan loves to cast doubt. He'll cast doubt for you about God. He'll cast doubt upon the word of God. And he'll cast doubt about who you are. He'll cast doubt about your identity. That you could be loved. That you could be forgiven. That you could actually be a child of God. That any of that could possibly be real. That's what he does. Doubt is his gift. Doubt is his specialty. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's a pretty good response when you haven't eaten anything for 40 days. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city and sent him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, you know, sometimes he doesn't, he just kind of just keeps pecking away there, right? Just, Just a little bit at a time, don't even hardly recognize that it's happening, but doubt is coming in. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, I love this, Satan is going to quote Scripture. Oh, rest assured, folks, Satan knows the entire Bible. It's Satan that knows how to get you and I focused on one part of the verse, but not the other. On one book, but not the other book. It's Satan that wants you to focus on a singular idea without having it developed by the the whole thing. And, and, And so he quotes scripture to him and says, hey, throw yourself down. He will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Folks, the the scripture is filled with wonderful promises for you and me. And those promises are to be claimed. Those promises are to be lived. But not to do silly tricks. Not not to do things that are irrelevant and don't have anything to do with anything. It's not a game. And that's that's what he just said. I'm not putting God to the test. He he didn't say that the angels would protect me so I could do a trick in front of you. That's not what that's about. Then, the de- uh, then Jesus said to him, again, it is written, I've already read that, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Notice this time he doesn't say if. You know who you are. I know who you are. Let's cut to the chase. There doesn't need to be a cross. I'll give you the crown, I'll give you the glory right now, no cross, let's cut this deal. That's what he does with us. Cuts the deal, you don't have to suffer, you don't have to walk that way, you don't have to look stupid in front of people, you can blend in, you can go along to to get along. We We don't have to do all that, let's just get to what we want. And at the end of the day, there's only one thing that counts, and it's not if I get what I want. It's not if I escape suffering. No, there's only, there's only one thing that counts, and Jesus says, he says, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Shall you serve. All that counts is that I worship God. 
All that means anything is that I worship God. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. You know, it's, it's amazing how many times I read this passage. Oh, don't you just kind of get the feel? Then the devil left him. Don't you just kind of get the feel? You just kind of, oh, okay, I tried three times. I'll come back later and try again. You know, he, he just kind of gives up and, and moves on. That's not why he gives up and moves on. He gives up and moves on because Jesus said, be gone, Satan, and Satan obeys. In all his rebellion, in all his fighting, in all his undercutting of God, when God speaks, he obeys. We're going to see that one day. I'm anticipating it being pretty cool. Right? So let's think now. And and, and folks, actually my idea today, there's so much in both of these passages I just read for us to understand and and to study. But but what I want us to see is the placement of, of these two stories. Their their placement in the introduction of the Messiah to Israel, the introduction of the Son of God to you and me, and what we are seeing, what we hear in, in these stories. Okay? What we're looking for, what they're looking for, is a general that is going to show up and call Israel to arms. Not call them to repentance. I mean, the zealots... The Pharisees, the people, they're looking for somebody that's going to rally the crew, that's going to rally the nation, and we're going to fight Rome, and we're going to defeat Rome. No longer a glorious Roman Empire, a glorious Israeli Empire. That's what we want. And what does Jesus call them to? Not to arms, but to repentance. What? Who? Now, now, who are you? You know, if somebody's going to show up in our lives and say they're God... If somebody's going to show up and say, I'm the Messiah. If somebody's going to show up and say, hey, you're going the wrong direction. I mean, a thinking person at that point is going to say, who are you? And that's a right and appropriate question. It's very right and appropriate for us to look at Christ and say, who are you? And of course, we know that's what the four Gospels are all about, aren't they? They're going to tell us who he is. What are we going to see as these Gospels unfold? Is, is Jesus heal the blind and raise the dead? We're going to see him calm the storm and walk on water. We're going to see him cast out demons, tell Satan what to do, and he does it. We're going to see his authority over every realm of the created order. We're going to see him teach. You know, in all honesty, if I had to, you know, know, go through this door to see Jesus teach. Go through this door to see him do a miracle. Which door are you going through? I'm guessing most of us, I want to see one of those really cool tricks he does. You know, it's interesting, and we're going to see this next week, that when people watch him teach, they're as much, if not more, amazed by that. They can't believe what they're hearing. I don't know, he just has a way of speaking, he has a way of saying, it's like he can look right at you and say, you know you're doing the exact wrong thing, and you feel loved. He can speak with authority and with compassion at the exact same time. You heard him and you just knew, this guy's God. And so we are going to see who he is. We are going to see who tells us to repent. Believe in the gospel. Come come follow me. We're going to see his right to say that in our lives. So let's think about real quickly these two things. Repent. Okay, now for just a moment, forget of what he might be calling us to repent from or to come to. Just the word repent. That's a word that flies into your face. You know that, don't you? We're used to hearing that at church. It's become a normal vocabulary word for us. But it's a kind of in-your-face word. All the word literally means is U-turn. 
I mean, you and I would, would come up to the left lane light and we would repent. We would take a U-turn. That's all it means. But think about what somebody is telling you if they're getting into your face and saying, you need to make a U-turn. They're basically saying, you are going entirely in the wrong direction. What you think is important is not. What you're building is wrong. Where you are going won't last. You need to, you don't need to make a course adjustment. You just need to take a 180 degree turn. You need to turn entirely around. I'm guessing more than a few of us would say, and let me tell you where you can get off. You know, I, again, who were you to be, to be telling me to repent? That's the message of Christ in your life and in my life. You need to repent. You need to believe the gospel. Believe What's the gospel? I want to believe in Israel. I, I want to be, believe in our nation being great. I want to believe in my happiness, my well-being, my security. I, that's what I want. What's the gospel? Oh, it's the best news in the world. It's the best news in all eternity. You can be saved. You can be rescued from sin and death and hell. Incredible news if and only if. You've actually come to the understanding and believe that you need to be saved. If you don't believe you need to be saved, is that good news? No, it's not bad news either. You know what it is? Entirely irrelevant news. If I don't see, if I don't believe, if I don't understand that I don't actually have a way out of sin and death and hell, that if I don't believe that, then this is irrelevant news to my life. But boy, when you come to understand that, you realize, hey, there's something a whole lot more important than my happiness for the moment, the, the, the well-being of my home, the well-being of my nation for a moment. And Jesus is, to, you know, I'm wanting to fight a battle with Rome, and Jesus is here saying, no, the battle is with your soul. I, I'm wanting to fight a battle about my happiness and my nation's happiness, and, and, and Jesus wants us to get a hold of eternity. There's bigger things going on here than what you think life is all about. Repent. Folks, the invitation of Christ is not to say a prayer. The invitation of Christ is not to have a moment in your life where you have some kind of experience with Him. The invitation of Christ is to entirely turn your life around and come and follow him. That's the invitation. So that's, you, you, you remember, I, I just am looking for somebody that's going to come and just make my life heaven like. And, and now what are you saying? Now think about what they, they saw. They, 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 they see Jesus being ushered out into the wilderness. And my guess is only Jesus and Satan and God saw that moment, but it's, it was recorded. It was communicated for us. We're to see that. We're, we're to grasp that as we understand who he is. And again, I'm wanting a geopolitical war and, and, and Jesus is fighting a, a spiritual war. Man, there's so much for us to learn about in this passage. We learn a lot about Satan. We learn, as I've been saying this morning, how he works. He works through doubt. He works through scripture. I doubt I doubt for a person that doesn't know the scripture or a person not of faith, I, I doubt he uses scripture. But, but you and I, he will. And he twists it. You know what's interesting is the exact same thing he does with Jesus. We can go all the way back to January in Genesis 3. That's why it's so important to study the whole Bible. 
And you can start connecting dots and putting it together. Because you know what he does here with Jesus is identical to what he does with Eve. Takes a little bit of the word of God. Cast a little bit of confusion. A little, a little bit of doubt on it. And you know what he works through? He works through our desires, our fears, and our identity. Every sin you have ever committed on planet earth was your own way to deal with your desires, your fears, your identity, your worth as a person, your value as a person, that you're lovable and can be loved. All of our sins are trying to deal with my desires, my fears, and my identity. And Satan goes at Jesus through those three things. We see the arrogance of Satan. He tries to twist the word of God with God. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? Hey, dude, I'm the one that spoke that. Are you really, are we going to do this? You know, we learn something about how to handle temptation here, don't we? You handle temptation with the word of God. Most of us are very befuddled by, by temptation, don't know what to do with temptation, feel very overwhelmed by it. And the scripture shows us over and over and over, there's one way to handle temptation, and it is by the word of God. I always kind of laugh when I see this story. All three verses that Jesus quoted are out of Deuteronomy. I always kind of in my mind, this is like a little funny game I play. So if my success at defeating Satan this week, if my success at handling temptation this week, or your success, is based on my knowledge of Deuteronomy, how am I going to do? Awkward silence. Some of you are going, what's Deuteronomy? The good news is it doesn't have to be just Deuteronomy, right? Hey, let me, let, me, let me throw kind of a tough idea here at you. Folks, we're, we're overwhelmed by temptation because you're underwhelmed by Scripture. And I am aware that I'm saying that to, by and large, a group of people who believe the Word of God, read the Word of God, probably can quote parts of it. And you lost to temptation this week because you are entirely underwhelmed with the power of the Word of God. And it's not just quoting it. I mean, Jesus quotes the word to Satan. But you know, I actually have in my mind what Jesus is showing you. It's not the words that I'm saying to Satan. It's the words that I'm saying to myself. I've been presented with an idea here about how to handle my anger, how to handle my lust, how, how, to, how to get away from suffering. I, I, I've, been handled, I've been given an idea here about how to make myself look good. As I quote the word, I remind myself, I am telling myself that what I would naturally do to accomplish my desires and fears and identity is not what I should do, but God's word tells me what I should do. And as I quote it, I'm telling myself the next step to take. And if you're not going to quote it, if I don't know it, then we're going to gather every Sunday and talk about what great believers in the Word of God we are and chastise the world because they don't believe in the Word of God. And then we're going to go out there and live while we don't know a single word in there. We're overwhelmed with temptation because we're underwhelmed, starting with this guy right here. Because we're underwhelmed with the power of the Word that we have in our hands. And there's so much in these stories that I, I, well, actually, I think I did teach a little bit about that just now. But anyway, there's so much there. But, but again, look at the placement. What is the big thing the Messiah is doing? I'm looking for a guy with a sword and an armor and a helmet, and he's, he's calling us to battle and warfare. Oh, he shows me a war, but it's not the war I want. 
He's, he's showing us a spiritual war. Now, you and I can separate ourselves pretty quickly from the, the Jews of this time. Because I'll, I'll, I didn't do that. I didn't crucify him. No, no, I, I accept the Messiah. Right? Isn't that why you're here today? Maybe you're here because you're searching, you're seeking. But a, a, a lot of us are here. I believe Jesus is the Messiah. But I look at this story and believe it or not, I'm challenged. Because I realize that as the Jews do what they do here, that it is entirely possible that you and I gather here every single week and we sing and we praise and we read God's word and then we go out and we crucify the very answer that God gives us. And so I ask myself, have I received the Jesus that is or just the Jesus I want? Have I repented from the course of my life and turned 180 degrees to try to follow in step by step and walk in the course that Jesus has set? Or do I just want him to come bless the life I've chosen? I don't know about you folks, I think it's quite possible that what we have going on all across America, what we got going on in church after church after church, is a whole bunch of people of faith and people of the book that have gathered to say, God, come bless the life I've chosen. Which is in effect to say, I'm not following you anywhere. As we try to figure out where we might be in this, I have, and I'm closing... Uh, see, the pastor gets a little rest. He preaches a lot longer. You see what happens there, okay? Um, so a question to kind of close this up. When is the last time I have repented? Of course, that's a question for your own mind. I'm not asking when's the last time I have. That's for me to answer. When is the last time you have repented? I think too often we maybe think of that word as something we did back there when we got saved, right? I repented May 12th, 1982. And, and I believe what happened there was, was very spiritual, very biblical, very much in line with what Jesus is calling me to do. I realize I was, I'm a good person, I'm a religious person, but I'm building me. My life is about me. My life is about my happiness. And I use sin very, very fluently, very effectively to build me and to get my happiness. And I, man, I gotta repent. I've gotta turn 180 degrees and I've gotta begin walking and following the life of Christ. I did that. And I did it genuinely. And I, I did it very real, authentically. May 12, 1982. And thousands upon thousands of times I have woken up since that day and charged into a day with an agenda that's about me. And I will continue to accomplish my desires and my fears and, and my identity in ways that I choose and are not always in step with the Savior that I follow. Can I say I've repented? I sure did, May 12th, 1982. Do you think when Jesus calls you and I to repent that that's a one-time thing? If I am in effect, if I am in reality following him, that's not my natural course. So repentance is an ongoing process. When is the last time you've repented? Let me tell you what I'm not asking you. I'm not asking you when is the last time you felt bad about yourself. 
we can feel horrible about ourselves and not do anything right or good to solve the problem. I'm not asking you, when is the last time you confessed sin to Jesus? Hey, Jesus, I said this. I shouldn't have. I acted in this way. I shouldn't have. Lord, I know you wanted me to do that, and I never did. I'm not asking when you last confessed sin. I'm asking when you repented. It's not just that I said, I'm sorry that I said that, but I actually took efforts to turn my life in a new course and move in a new direction where those words and those thoughts and those actions don't happen anymore. If you don't know when you last repented, you realize there's a very significant chance you are not at all following Jesus. Because there is no life. There is no walk in step with him where repentance is not an ongoing process. So if I'm not repenting, then I'm not following. I'm no different than the one who crucified. I'm saying, no, no, I'm not following you anywhere. I just want you to come and bless where I'm going. You just, in effect, said... He's not my Messiah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you give us the courage? Would you give us the wisdom? Would you give us the insight to take a real look into our soul? We all know what's going on in there, regardless of what we've got people around us believing. We all know what's going on inside there. God, give us... uh, that wisdom, that courage, that honesty to take a real look at what's going on in there and help us to determine if, in fact, we're following you. Lord, I kind of pray this is a big week for every single one of every single person in this room watching online at our Midlothian campus. God, for everyone, I pray this is a big week that we actually take an honest look at our following of our Savior. And may we be faithful and humble and dependent to maybe for the first time in a long time, not just feel bad or feel sorry, but repent. Jesus, I thank you. You are so gentle with us. As we try to pray this prayer and make this look. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.